This is Cleantech Talk, Clean Technica's podcast series interviewing cleantech leaders from around the world. This episode is being sponsored by Pono Home. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community and do it for a living, make money? You can. Check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com. Uh, well, Cody, hey, it's great to uh, to officially have you on the Clean Tech Talk podcast. I'm Kyle Field with Clean Technica, and we talked about a year ago at CES, and I'm just thrilled to be to re- be reconnecting and talking about zero mass water and all the exciting stuff you guys are doing. Yeah, maybe you could start by just kind of grounding our, our listeners in zero mass water. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you guys are doing there and maybe, I think more importantly, really, like why you guys are doing that and chasing down water? Yeah, Kyle, and thanks for having us on. You know, it's it's good to talk to you again. As you said, we, we talked a year ago and, you know, the trajectory that Zero Mass is on in, you know, sort of reimagining uh, water abundance is, is really kind of a, a lot of fun and a, and a new vector, if you will, in the renewable space. You know, when we think about the origin story of Zero Mass, it's all about recognizing the the fact that over the last decade or so, solar has seen this massive compression of about a 10x cost, right? And lithium-ion battery costs are coming down by about a factor of 10 over the same period. And so what we saw was this full commoditization of renewable energy and the recognition from an innovation perspective of, oh, wait a minute, you know, electricity is only about 20% of the global energy mix. The rest of it is transportation and embedded energy in the stuff you buy, the food you eat, and the water you drink. And so the thesis became, wait a minute, could we broaden that narrative to a renewable resources type of reality where we go develop a technology that solves for one of those, re- those resources? And where we landed on, what we locked on was, if we could do for water what solar had done for electricity and is doing for electricity, we could fundamentally shift the world. You know, we tend to immediately index to sort of the emerging market problems. But as we were just talking about off air, right, California has massive water challenges. There are 750 water main breaks a day in the U.S., a half a trillion liters of bottled water are sold globally at a very high price and you know, obviously with a lot of waste associated with them. So the conception of the ability to take sunlight and air and produce perfect water essentially anywhere on the planet was a very powerful one for us as we started to think about what would be the technological approach to solving for water. And then sort of fast forwarding to today, right, we've developed these source hydro panels which is now installed in 36 countries globally. That's exciting. I think the cost is the, the really exciting angle there. I mean, right now, solar, your, your source hydro panels compete with uh, bottled water very effectively. They, they effectively um, make bottled water 
not viable from a cost standpoint by themselves. But really to kick that technology and to kick hydro panels into high gear, the cost has to fall dramatically. So what what's needed? Is it, is it a scale uh, challenge? Is it a material breakthrough? What, what's needed to, to cut the price of those panels to make that clean, pure water that's coming out of the source panels even more affordable and, and scalable? Yeah. So as, as you hinted at, you know, when we install source hydro panels at homes, you know, in, in arrays of one to several, the uh, the cost structure of that of that panel amortized over its life is way cheaper than bottled water. And now think about when you go from that to you know large arrays for whole communities or for industrial uses or for breweries or for uh, you know all the different uses that you might use water for, whether that's eco resorts and hospitality or hospitals or schools or whatever what may have you as you're able to scale in the same way that you know with solar pv you know doing small arrays sets a certain cost structure as you go to uh large utility scale arrays of solar uh you can get to cost structures that are far far cheaper than coal and there's a strong corollary to the way that we deploy source whether that's in small arrays or large no, I think I think the the uh, scale is is fantastic, and that's good to see. And, and you've got a new kind of product that we'll we'll dig into in a minute that helps with that. But I, I know you guys have also made some improvements just in that core technology. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys have done in the last year, just to like the source panels and that technology to improve the efficiency or the overall um, effectiveness of those panels? Yeah. So um, you know we're five years into this this pathway. Um, we founded the company in November of 2014, and so we're still very early on in our our life cycle. And so while we're way out ahead in terms of developing this approach for water, we're still on this dramatically sort of high ramp mode in in the R&D side. And so we've developed advancements on the material science side that allow us to take more water per footprint, advancements on the thermodynamic side that allow us to use that sunlight ever more efficiently. And so now with Source Rexy, which we're announcing here at CES, we are able to, in the, in the footprint that's half the size of the original source panels that you saw, which is actually exactly the size of a residential solar PV panel, about 65 inches by 40 inches, we're able to produce the same amount of water. So you can think three to five liters per one of those modules. And so when you think about the efficiency from a technological perspective, you know, it's almost double. That's a big step forward. And in the same range of uh, environmental conditions that we've always had for source, which is, you know, being able to operate in extreme desert conditions all the way to very, very humid sort of equatorial jungle type conditions. That's fantastic. So it doubles the overall um, efficiency of the panel, cuts the size in half, and it maintains the same production. Are those the same panels yeah, that you guys so, use at any scale, using residential um, all the way on up? So that if those improvements effectively impact the entire line of uh, zero mass water products? Yeah. So as you think about going from rooftop to ground mount, obviously we can have those panels be that size or a larger size. And those, those per area efficiency gains are are trans, um, translated across just in the same way that if you think about, you know, solar modules, right? It's really about the watts per area. In our case, it's about the water per area. Right. And what we've done with Source Rexy is really um, align the the, um, the the size of the panel to what you see typically in solar residential. Um, and so whether we're 
standalone or were embedded amongst an array of solar modules, you can integrate both electricity and water into that rooftop. That's super cool. Um, so if we stay focused on that, that the Rexy, source Rexy panel for residential, um, who are really the target consumers for that? Is that you know, folks in affluent Southern California or, or upscale neighborhoods or like who, who are you targeting with those panels right now? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because, because the, the range of water stress is so, it hits such a wide range of, of folks. We've seen high-end homes, you know, people that are drinking high-end bottled water that want to avoid that plastic, yet they, they have challenges with the palatability and the, the sort of taste of the water that comes out of their tap. And so this enables them to have a high-end experience that is also much more sustainable all the way over to homes that are on wells about uh, 15% of the U S population is on uh, wells and over 50% 50% of those wells would not pass an EPA test. And so there's a lot of water stress associated with the way that a lot of people get water directly. And so we're able to go in and, and provide that drinking water in a way that, you know, they otherwise would have to go buy bottled water for. And so uh, that's kind of the two, if you want to kind of settle into two dynamics, as many other uh, permutations, but really that rooftop product, whether you're talking about homes or schools and other conditions where we obviously want a high quality of water and yet they're, you know, the, the input stream may be under stress of one kind or another. Those are, those are the focus area for, for Rexy. I mean, it feels like it's it's giving somebody a better product that they can have. They can actually look at the data behind. So I know that was one of your big points is really the transparency as well. They can look at look at the data, see that the water is cleaner, and it comes out cheaper than going to the store and buying bottled water that they would assume has a better quality as well. And they don't have to worry about you know if they are off the grid from a water standpoint, they they don't have to worry about any of those pollutants. So it really solves two problems with one one product, it sounds like. Yeah, you know what's interesting is, uh, and I hadn't thought about this this point until, you know, started building this company, is you think about the supply chain of water. You know, what was the supply chain of the wa- last drink of water that you had? And how much transparency do you have to that tra- to that supply chain, whether it was out of a bottle or, it, or you know, out of the tap? What's its history, right? And the, that history because water is the universe's greatest solvent, meaning it dissolves stuff that we like and the stuff that we don't want, right? It, it's the stuff, it's the predicate and catalyst for life, which is both a good thing and a bad thing and so on. Because of those things, having full knowledge around the entire history of that water, it's, it's really a pretty dramatic step forward, of, you know, kind of the first digitization of, of water, if you will, to be able to say, I know that this water is produced right here in the last 24 hours, and this is its quality, this is, this is the, the fact that it's sterile, and this is how it's mineralized, and now I'm consuming it. That's a very powerful thing. Yeah, I think you really got me thinking, like, I think today going to the store to buy water or, you know, putting a Brita filter or pure water filter on your, your tap makes pe- makes it easy for people to feel like they're getting clean water. Um, what is that, that, like, how do you get your product into the hands of the average consumer? Like, I'm sitting here in Ventura, California, and I would bet that most people around me don't know about these products or the fact that their water they're drinking isn't as good as they would hoped it to be. Uh, they just kind of assume that it's good. They drink it and move on with their day. Uh, but like, how do you guys get the, the products into the hands of consumers or how do you inform people about these panels? 
Yeah, so it's early days for us, for sure. What we've found is that the, the sort of typically the, the folks that are inbound to us are people that have been experiencing some form of water stress and looking for a solution for a while. Either they have, you know, their water that comes in their house has way too much chlorine in it. And even after pouring it through one of those activated carbon filters still has a little bit of stink to it, or they are in an area where they know they have lead pipes and they're concerned about those issues, or they have a well, whatever those issues are, typically our customers are already you know, really aware of their, of their challenge and they've been looking for a solution. Of course, the next step for us, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head, Kyle, is how do we go from that, that stage where people who um, are aware and have been looking for a solution are coming to us to turn that into, hey, by the way, here's another answer for your water. And here are the challenges you currently face without going into the kind of fear-based approach in marketing, but rather saying, Hey, look, you know, here, here is what you're doing currently. And it's not sustainable. You're currently buying, you know, flat a bottled water every, you know, every week for your family, half of that's going to waste and all of that plastic's going to waste. It's not getting recycled and so on. Here's a better way, right? Okay. You're going through these filters. These filters do this, but they don't do that. Here's a better way. And starting to really educate around how, how people can move to a much more sustainable uh, future with their water. No, I mean, that, that continues to be one of the ways that uh, products just take off. I mean, you get a passionate base of consumers that understand the data and understand why it's it's better. And, and really, I, I think that's why, like you mentioned about renewable energy, that's why like clean tech in this field is so exciting right now because electric cars, solar, wind, and, and energy storage increasingly, depending on the utility area, they're not exciting because of the product itself. They're not exciting because of the new silicon wafers that they're using or the new batteries for most consumers. I mean, for the nerds out there like us, they are, but they're attractive because of the financials. They stand on their own as a better product. And um, I think that makes sense. I mean, you're still with those early adopters and, and folks are are jumping on board because of the, the technology, but that does seem like a great platform to be able to scale that. When do you see that happening? Yeah, what does that look like? Yeah, so that's a super uh, good question, and, and the you know kind of that Model Three experience, right? The Tesla that you and I both drive is better. It's a better product than any internal combustion engine product in a car that you've ever driven. And so it's not. It doesn't have to be about you know saving the planet or removing the CO2 footprint or those things. Uh, it's actually better. And in many in many ways, source is exactly that. Yes, it's more sustainable. Yes, it lowers your cost of water. Yes, it improves your life. But guess what? It's better. The water is better. You you know exactly where it came from. It's digitized. It's sustainable. It's the only kind of renewable water you've ever had access to. And so it's getting that message through and, and having the people that are experiencing it every day be telling their stories ever in an ever better way. I'm a huge fan of solar. I think that's one of the technologies that has just gone mainstream to the point where it's it's almost silly, especially here in Southern California, to not put panels on your roof because it is uh, such an attractive financial proposition. And so I, I love that your source hydro panels that you guys have built are powered by PD solar. Um, obviously you're using the, the solar thermal as well for the uh, the water collection. But why is it why is it important or why is it almost necessary that this, that your product, your source panels are solar powered. Yeah, I think it's, it's a couple things. One is it gives us full autonomy. So 
whether that's on you know a home of you know with it just a single panel or a few panels or school at 50 panels or a whole community it, it's one it's one device we get the benefits of that autonomy from what infrastructure is there whether there is electricity available or not whether it's what the quality of that electricity is and so on. So really making something that is fully independent removes the, 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 the need to go and you know, wire in the device and all those things. So it actually makes source hydro panels actually easier to install than solar PV by quite a large margin, as you, as you know from that, you know, the electrical work that has to go in to integrate solar into a home. It's, it's not, a, not a small feat. The other thing that is kind of a broader principle is when you think about water really anywhere, it's a mass customization problem. It's a natural resource that you have to sort of either pump out of the ground or take out of a river, and then you have to analyze that, go build custom, you know, um, civil works associated with the cleaning up of that water and then, and then the transmission of that water from one place to another. So it's this mass customization problem. And one of the fundamental things that we do is we remove that. It's a single skew. It's a single hydro panel, whether it's in Ventura or in Sydney or in Cape Town or in Delhi, let's say, right? It's all the same hydro panel. So the, the, the benefits of scale that come from that mean that everybody benefits from that volume. Whereas if we were having to kind of customize each installation based on the details of that place, including the electricity, uh, that would obviously hinder our ability to, to really hone that cost performance. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's like one of those things like with solar, <laughs> uh, I keep going back to it because it's an easy parallel and obviously the products are uh, similar in some ways. But when I first put solar on our home, we put five panels up and it was really just because I wasn't ready to have that battle with my wife on, we need to spend 20 or $25,000 at the time uh, back in 2011 to put all these panels on our right. roof when I wasn't fully sold on the technology. But once you install it and see it working, it's so simple and it feels like this is similar in that you're literally just putting that single panel, the, the source panel up on the roof. And is the only product that comes the only external output from that, it's just the hose with the water, right? I mean, is it that simple? You got it. So once, once it is installed, there's a, a flexible PEX line that runs down to, you know, what would have been your RO tap or to your refrigerator to uh, provide you that drinking and cooking water. And, you know, auto commissions, we have cloud-based infrastructure that the source Rexy panels log on to, then commissions with our network operating center that's U.S.-based, commissions the panel, and then it's off and running. It's, it's super powerful from that perspective and powerful from that perspective. And if you have multiple panels, then one is the hub and the other one's the spoke. So uh, the water that is produced is transmitted from those spokes to the hub and then into the home. What's really cool is all of the parallels with solar are very strong, right? The uh, disintermediation of infrastructure, the the fact that the only input stream is sunlight, and well, in this case, sunlight and air, but in the case of solar, sunlight. And so that means that there isn't variability of input costs and all that sort of thing. Where we're different, we're actually much better. So you think about, you know, when you make uh, an electron with um, with solar, uh, it's use it or lose it, right? It's ephemeral. If you don't use it, it goes to the ground unless you have a battery there. In the case of source, when we put that embedded energy into making that perfect water, that water is now stored in a 30 liter reservoir inside of each panel. And so the capability of making that water or that, you know, that solar resource now 
fungible and storable at very low cost is is straightforward. And so kind of those those elements around really maximizing the use of the sunlight you have uh, means that source is actually much more valuable per square meter than solar PV. And so it's easy to say, okay, well, actually, you know, what we want to do is put in, if you're putting in solar PV on your roof, you definitely want to put in solar source Rexy so that you have both perfect drinking water and solar PV. So you're not at one hand offsetting the, uh, you know, the electricity from the utility and then drinking bottled water inside the home. Right. And so getting fully aligned philosophically around uh, the sustainable uh, lifestyle that you're, that you're building. I mean, we talked before we, we got started with the podcast about um, just kind of the, I guess that blue sky, right? So imagining that home of the future or that maybe, maybe just a sustainable home that doesn't need all these external inputs. And I think solar is the easy one for electricity. It also can power an electric car. Uh, but then the water, you generally run into kind of that brick wall of, wow, we just don't have a, a good solution for this. I mean, there are some atmospheric water uh, generators that, that use the power from the grid to, to do that. Um, but these, these, your Rexy panels, I mean, they really feel like they just solve that and give people really that missing Lego block for building that, that kind of perfect house of the future, um, which ironically we can build today. So I think that's, that's super exciting. Yeah. You know, and I, I love thinking about that, that fully off grid home that is really, you know, it's like an off grid home in a, in a suburb, right. <laughs> Instead of an off grid home somewhere in the mountains or something, you know, you think about the ability to provide, you know, the kind of the core resources to that home using sunlight uh, in a way that's so efficient and so elegant that it becomes an obvious choice. And I, for one, am, am, you know, extraordinarily excited about that future. Uh, and it's not that far off. Same. No, we, we have a saying around Clean Technica, it's like the future is now. Um, and I think it, it really, it feels that way increasingly just as these solutions come out, it's, it's completely possible to, to run your home on solar. It's completely possible to store the power you need in batteries, drive electric vehicles and use that. And, and now we're saying that you can do that with, with water as well. I, I think the other the other piece that uh, is exciting, I mean, you mentioned earlier that these, the Rexy panels are the same physical panel as what you would scale up. And that scale is really critical in driving down the cost. It's not, it's not the only factor, but it is a big lever in terms of driving down the cost of uh, the water that people are drinking. And so you're, you're also launching a new product called Source Fields, which uh, I think wins for the best product name of the year. Maybe I'm just too much of a Star Wars nerd, but... I was wondering if you could just kind of talk us through how source fields kind of leverage that core technology and then maybe how they're different. Yeah. And this is, this is, uh, uh, no sucking up to the journalist here because right I'm talking to Kyle field and there's no relationship between the naming of this product and your last name, (laughs) but you know, the, the, the conception was, uh, behind the name is really this idea that actually you don't need that big of a footprint of source hydro panels to start producing, really uh, substantial amounts of water. And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've been sort of saying kind of off the cuff since we founded the company was, oh, we know what source enables is the ability to put in some hydro panels out and have an artesian well effectively anywhere in the world. And then you start going through the math, you say, well, actually per acre, right, we could do about 1.5 million liters a year per acre. So now you're actually really talking about, you know, going to the middle of the Australian outback and taking one acre of that now having a, a spring that is, I mean, an effective, a metaphorical spring in that place 
that requires nothing else input to it. What would you do with that if you had the ability to plunk down a spring anywhere in the world? And how would you, how would you architect the, the mechanism of financial mechanism of putting, putting that there? And it just so happens that as we've been talking about all the great things happening in solar, right? Just so happens over the last dozen years ago. So, all right, there's the solar PPA came out, right? The solar power purchase agreement, which enabled people to start just saving on their electric bill at homes um, instead of buying the CapEx um, enabled, you know, now I think the new world record is in, in Dubai and it's a, you know, on the order of a gigawatt solar plant, that's like a one and a half, 1.56 cents, I think per kilowatt hour. And so you think about the cost structure of that, and that's enabled by these these uh, finance mechanisms that make it so that utilities and companies and communities aren't buying the solar panel, the modules themselves, but rather the electricity. And so with source fields, what we've enabled is the ability for people to just buy water and buy water at a scale that matches their needs and at a price point that is offsetting what their current incumbent costs are. So when we think about the opportunity here, it just kicks the door wide open. And so the initial uh, rays are in places like Dubai and in Australia and places where uh, the need is great and where there are opportunities to really improve people's lives by, by turning on a tap that otherwise wouldn't be there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're, you're kind of hinting at the, the two models, right? So you can purchase source fields or you can actually, you guys have a new uh, financing scheme. Is it, is it called a water purchase agreement or what do you guys call that where people can just kind of subscribe and buy water by the leader? What does that look like? It, water purchase agreement. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> it. And um, it's, it's actually works very similarly to a power purchase agreement and the, you know, the, you know, let's say, let's take Dubai as an example, right? You're talking about, you know, something like 98% of all their water comes from desalination, right? Well, once you desalinate that water, now you got to get it away, you know, get it to where it's going. So then it involves conveyance and whatever else that water, <clears throat> while it's destroying the ecosystem, which they, they recognize is destroying the, the, the ocean where that those brines are getting put back in. It's also highly, there's a high coupling between their, their water and the energy that they have. And they saw what happened in Saudi Arabia last year with earlier this year with Yemen bombing the, the refinery. There's, there's a strategic need to decouple energy and water. And those two things combined with the fact that nobody drinks that water. And so there's massive bottled water use in Dubai, not because people are snooty, it's because the water from those desal plants is not, doesn't taste that great. It's slightly brackish, like slightly off tasting. And so the, there's a need to provide water in a way that's decoupled from traditional energy in a way that people want to consume and provides them resilience. And so there's, uh, you know, our first couple of arrays are related to providing water to uh, a company that's going to sustainably package that water and then to an eco-resort. And, uh, you know, those are two, you know, big arrays. In Australia, in Queensland, where I was just uh, about two weeks ago, you know, both Queensland and New South Wales are on fire right now. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, Kyle, but um, like I flew from Brisbane to Sydney and it was like flying into Beijing. It was the skies were yellow and uh, there was ashfall happening in Sydney while I was there. Um, extreme droughts going on. There are 
you know, many hundreds, I guess, low thousands of schools across New South Wales and uh, New South Wales and, and Queensland that have, you know, massive challenges with getting water to kids. I went and visited one school in, in Queensland where a classroom was uh, converted into a bottled water storage facility, not just for the school, but for the surrounding community. And we've now installed an array at that school. And so the kids are, you know, have being able to drink water from that. And we're doing a large array of a million liters a year in that community to provide water to, to an off-taker. So that ability now, going back to that metaphor of that artesian well anywhere in the world, is now perfected by this concept of source field and being able to contract for water. And unlike every other water source before, Right. We don't have to go and drill a hole in the ground and find out there's water there and then go figure out what the quality of that water is. We can just show up, collect sunlight in there and produce water. Yeah, I think I mean, we would kind of brief. I've been briefed on these products, but I think as we're talking through source field and it isn't just because of the, the last name, I, I was thinking force fields, but <laughs> it does have a double win with oh, me, yeah. me on that one. Um, I, I think the ability to, to put kind of this massive amount of water infrastructure in that's entirely decoupled from everything around it, it does have a massive impact on on energy and emissions. I mean, here in California, I think we spend about two or 3% of our overall energy budget on pumping water around the state. We've got a massive water infrastructure system that pulls water down from Northern California down to Southern California, where we would otherwise be a desert. And so I think that, that energy savings and the carbon emissions that, carbon emission reduction that comes with that, is fantastic. So, I mean, it, it does sound like it's, it really takes those individual panels that would be on a roof um, to the next level. And it, it, it feels like it would entirely scale that up. I mean, you're eliminating, like you said, the drilling, the transportation, the energy and emissions, especially in areas where, where desal is the only option. And I feel like in California, we're really in that same boat, um, as are you in, in the Arizona Sonoran Desert, um, where water is very much a luxury. It is very much something that doesn't naturally exist here at the scale that we need it to with the populations we've built around uh, in these areas. And man, it, it uh, feels like this could be a game changer, um, not just out in Australia where they're having kind of a, a massive climate emergency at the moment, but everywhere in the world. Is that, am I thinking about that the right way? I think so. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's just fascinating to me, you know, we, you know, in 2019 here, almost 2020, Right. Um, I guess it'll be 2020 when this uh, when this podcast goes live. Um, okay. So here we are here in 2020, and you know the uh, you know the cell phone that I have uh, that I'm talking to you from is has got access to all of humanity's information, all you know all of history. We've been talking about Tesla solar roof and the Model Three and all of those beautiful things, and yet we still live in the Roman era when it comes to water. In California, if it, you know, if it, it doesn't snow really well in the Rockies, you know, and then it doesn't trickle down through the Colorado River system and eventually get pumped over to L.A., right? It's a huge problem. We're still sort of waiting for the stuff to fall out of the sky and then uh, fill up rivers and lakes and then being able to pump it. Whereas if we can move to a full place of abundance and sustainability with water, it just fundamentally shifts our world. And here we are talking about California, you know, one of the, uh, what is the, it's the, is it sixth largest economy in the world? Fifth largest economy? Some, something like, like that, right? And, and it, you know, it's hindered, it's stuck by its access to water on, a, on an otherwise wet planet. And so how do we think about applying the things that we've learned here over the last several decades in renewables to water? And that's what we've attempted to do with Source. 
And with Source Rexy, we make that ever more accessible to homeowners. And with Source Fields, we make that fully accessible to communities and hospitality and anybody who needs water at scale. Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about as I was kind of pondering over the product and, and where it's going and where the planet and, and humanity is going is, is climate change. I mean, we think about, obviously, the planet is warming up. That's science. That's not up for debate at this point. But I think with climate change, that's also going to have a, a natural effect on water. So all the surface water will evaporate faster, um, which will inevitably create more more drought situations. But I think in terms of the water and the moisture in the air, how, how does climate change affect the ability of source panels to pull water from the atmosphere? Like, does that get better because now it's warmer and more water is going to be in the air? How does that change? Yeah, so what we know about climate change, right, is that as it gets warmer, or it gets warmer, there'll be more humidity in the air on average. But what we really know about about climate change is that it's it, what it corresponds to is climate chaos, right? There's more more extremes, right? And so when we think about, you know, Australia just uh, hit the warm, warmest day anywhere on the planet in the month of December uh, in, uh, I think it was down in Adelaide, you know, recently. So it's sort of, um, you know, extreme weather events are, are getting worse. The, it, it won't, it won't negatively impact sources ability to take water out of the air. In fact, if anything, what's going to happen is what we already see is like in the islands of the Philippines and places in the Caribbean, you're starting to see more saltwater intrusion into water tables because of the, there's a little bit associated with water sea, sea level rise, but it's more associated with the fact that you've already have these freshwater overdraws and then there's less rainfall. And so when you have less rainfall and, and uh, freshwater overdraw on an island, you get saltwater intrusion, and then guess what happens, right? Your water table is destroyed. That's happening over and over and over again across thousands of islands across the planet. And those are sort of the folks that are on the front lines of climate change. It doesn't, you don't require the sea level to rise. You don't require the, uh, a place to get, that was once wet, to get dry for a long period of time. You just need a one-year drought. And all of a sudden, the salt water floods into the water table, and then it's poisoned for a very long time, you know, decades. And so these sort of variations that have that can have an impact in the short term result in long-term tails of impact, and uh, both economic and an ecological sense. And so, you know, the the climate situation, which is scary as hell, and uh, we've got to figure out how to become ever more resilient and adaptive to. We've got to get after that. The, you know, whether that's uh, associated with, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, making our lives just livable, we can choose that, or we can choose to, you know, make them fundamentally better. And my my view as a long-term optimist is we should be deploying our brain trust against making our lives ever better at, at all levels and all places on this planet, given the forcing function of climate change. Take it as an opportunity to, to go and solve some big problems in a way that results in people's lives being better irrespective of the climate change. I like that a long-term optimist. <laughs> That's good stuff. Which also has the corollary on a short-term pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there's just the forcing function. <laughs> you have the grounding in realism for anything to be effective, right? That's right. Oh, good stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've, we've kind of, I think we've attacked these two new products from uh, a lot of different angles. I was wondering, is there anything else that we haven't talked about or maybe just something you guys are doing that you haven't talked about with us yet that uh, you'd like to talk about? I'm open. I think, I think we've covered it, Kyle. And I, you know, I think what's just so exciting to me is 
what I hope zero mass water represents is sort of the definition of this renewables 2.0 category, which is really broadening the concept of renewable energy to renewable resources. And can we think of other things that it can benefit from that approach that are not just electricity and water, but other things. And so as we sort of think about the significant step forward that this renewable water category represents and the truly limitless supply of water that it represents, what else could we do that for? And, you know, I want to, I hope that we can inspire other innovators to go and, and work in those, those spaces. That's what gets me all excited about the broader ecosystem that, that we're both part of. It's interesting because I feel like we've won in, in a very, in a fundamental way with renew, with, with solar and batteries and electric vehicles. In a fundamental way, they are better and they are cheaper today. That has to now matriculate through the, through society, right? Let's go tee up the next set of things. And that's, that's kind of what gets me uh, just super enthusiastic about this coming, you know, this coming decade here uh, that we've just stepped into. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I, I like that idea of renewable resources. I mean, we definitely talk a lot about energy. It is the, the near-term battle, but water is, it's, it is the next battle. It is the next challenge for humanity, especially as those water resources on the surface um, evaporate faster. And it sounds like that's, uh, that the source panels actually benefit from that, which is exciting. Um, so, I mean, I really appreciate talking with you. It's always exciting to to dig into what you guys are doing and to, to help share that with our readers and listeners. I think, but more importantly, I, I really appreciate the work you and the team at Zero Mass Water are doing. Clean water is and should be, could be, will be, hopefully, a, a fundamental right for millions and billions around the world. I mean, that's that's a reality that I can see thanks to, to the products you guys are building. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate the work you guys are doing and thanks for the time today. Kyle, I, I really appreciate those words. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm super pumped about what you guys do at Clean Technica, and uh, I'm a close uh, listener and, and reader of, uh, of your work, so uh, very much appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again, Cody. You're welcome. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, drop us a note. We are looking for more clean tech leaders to highlight on a regular basis as we fund a clean tech talk.